Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today. And joining me is the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Hola. Yes, I'm very well, mate. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Yep, all good, all good. Um, well, Halloween was um, a washout here. Um I had to go trick or treating. Luckily, like pouring down with rain, the kids couldn't wait to get out there and bless them. Like they were so excited and like desperate to get out there, and it was pouring. I was like, "You got to wait, you got to wait." And then luckily, it stopped. And we had like this forty-minute um, window to just get yeah a blitz of of one road. And there's basically one road where I live, and everyone heads there because everyone down this road seems to make the effort. They all ran out of sweets, and it was like it, it was a bit of a nightmare. You tried to find where 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 the rest of the chocolate was and stuff, but um, yeah, we got away with it in the end. So the kids seemed to be happy. What they weren't happy about is they come home and it's bedtime. It's like it's actually pretty. It's pretty hard on them. Like they're out there having the time of their life. They collect all this chocolate, right? Right, bedtime. They're like, what? No chance. No yeah. chance. They're all hyped up on sugar as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, fair enough. Like, that is a bit harsh. Yeah. Well, you'd be like, you could have just let them watch the Bologna game. That would have put them to sleep quite quite easily. <laughs> that would have been that would have been my my manoeuvre. Um, but yeah, all good. Right, today we're going to be talking about some remontada seasons. I'm looking forward to this. Talking about some players who have reignited their careers this season so far. And it's a, it's a nice topic. I'm, I'm excited about it. To hear what you have to say sam but before we do that we've got things we love so let's go to you first dj shall we i'm loving mls lads lafc are in mls cup final this could finally be it finally they're, they're making the step to to get in the big one um uh, see ones that the supporters shield and now haven't got their hands on this one before and the final is at home It'll be at the Bank of California Stadium and they'll be hosting Philadelphia Union who, well, they saw off NYCFC 3-1, LAFC saw off Austin 3-0. Um, and it's a little bit of the Union game, but LAFC, I mean, it was very, very straightforward win. I um, battered them, mate. It was I mean, Austin whoa. just didn't turn up. I felt almost felt sorry for him. It was one of those where it was just like a game too far in their season almost. They just didn't rise to it, did they? No, not at all. I mean, I think obviously the home advantage does really feel like it counts for a hell of a lot in MLS. Really Maybe does. possibly more than the most other leagues, not just travel time, but other elements as well. And like, yeah, like having said, support and stuff, you know. It's yeah. Almost I mean, Austin, took, Austin took a good, you saw them in the stands. They took yeah. a, good, a good cohort, fair play a to good them. A good of 100. Um, um, but yeah. Also, like it's played like midday in LA. Like, Yeah, this was why? weird. Why? Like I, I don't know. I don't know the reasoning 7 behind PM this. Here. Yeah, or well, with the time. Well, I don't know what the, how the time change was at the time, so I don't know if that was midday. It's I presume it was still midday. So the final is eight PM UK time on Saturday, November the fifth. So fireworks night over here. So I'll go to a firework display and then come home and watch MLS Cup final. But yeah, in in California, that is a midday kickoff. Um, so the Union are going to have to be prepared. I'm um, not sure they have quite the same weather in Philadelphia as they do in, in LA um, for, for most of the year. Um, but look, Union, 
have had a great season. Philadelphia as a city are having yeah. a hell of a a hell of a year sports wise. Um, I'm sure anyone that's been across social media uh, sports wise has seen that like all their teams are like boom at the moment, aren't they? I mean, Sam probably knows more about it than me, but it seems like the whole city is buzzing. Well, the Phillies are in the the World Series and. Uh, the Eagles are possibly the second best team, possibly the f- the best team in, in the NFL. I mean, I'd still probably take the Bills over anyone else, but they're at the. I think the Eagles are the only undefeated team in in the NFL. So, yeah, it's fair to say that the the city is really enjoying its sport right now. Yeah, um, there's going to be a lot of people on lamp posts. <laughs> they'll have to grease them. Yeah, they will. Look, we are encouraging everyone that listens to this pod to watch this game and we're going to do a special drop actually. Like this is this is a big game um, in the calendar and it'll also be a really entertaining fixture. So at the end of this week, we're actually going to do a special drop and Owen, who is our, he's our chief writer, I'm going to call him. He's our <laughs> chief writer for Ranks FC. Um, and anyone that's checked out the website, if you haven't, check out our website. What's the address, Jack? Ranks.football. It's very Rank- easy. Ranks Ranks. football. There you go. Just type that in. You'll find us. Um, And you'll see that Owen is doing an unbelievable job of um, writing some stuff that you honestly won't read anywhere else. Like his insight that he's given us and his analysis and some of the deep dives he's done have been brilliant. Um, So go and read that. But also, end of this week, uh, me and Sam are going to have a chat with Owen and we're going to do a bit of a deep dive, probably a half hour episode or something, getting stuck in to MLS Cup final. Probably do a prediction each two. Um, and yeah, really, really build up that game. So really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be very exciting. It's going to be good to have Owen on the podcast. Uh, right, Sam, over to you. What have you got for us? Yeah, I had nothing. And then you strong armed me into saying something here in this opening segment before we jumped on the microphones live. So, um, yeah, um, well, no, fair enough. You made, you, you, you made a very good point, Jack. You made a very good point, which was, Seems to me like a lot of Aston Villa fans are in two minds over the Unai Emery appointment. Um, it's not something I necessarily love, but feel like I need to point out that this is the best manager that Villa have appointed in probably 20 years, something like that, roughly wow. 15 to 20. Like it's been a long time. Martin O'Neill? Well, he's better than Martin O'Neill, isn't he? It's maybe not at the time. Maybe, maybe. I mean, it's been a long time since Villa have been able to. Yeah, I mean. Martin O'Neill was pretty I, good in his time. He did. He had a lot of stock, didn't he? Villa were yeah. constantly worried about losing him to Man United in the yeah. post-Fergie era, so probably fair enough. But they appointed him in, must have been 07, 06, yeah, something yeah. like that. So it really has been like 15 to 20 years mm. since Villa have had a manager of this calibre. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they thought they might have had a manager of this calibre in Steven Gerrard. That didn't really work out. And the list the list that, that preceded Dean Smith included Roberto Di Matteo and... Steve Bruce and Remy Gard, um, Tim Alex McLeish. Alex McLeish. So people like him? No. Yeah, no, he was awful. Um, <laughs> and he came like, from Birmingham. That was that was yeah. that was always destined to fail, yeah, wasn't it? Totally. So like quite a lot. Well, the large majority of appointments over the last fifteen years just really haven't gone to plan. And and you could probably tell from the offset that it wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to work out, especially with the McLeish one. So. Well, some Villa fans may have had their hearts set on, you know, Mauricio Pochettino. He politely declined the job. Anything else may feel like a bit of a a bit of a step down. You may feel a bit disappointed. But Unai Emery is a very good manager. And Villa in their current state, you watch them play, you look at where they are on the table. They're very lucky to have a manager of Unai Emery's quality and calibre at this team. It reinforces the idea that the owners are very, very um, ambitious and they're willing to 
to, to try and push on and try and step forward and, and they're willing to pay and aim high. They're not they're not cutting the cord after a, a, quite a lot of spending over the years that hasn't necessarily led anywhere just yet, which is obviously great news for the fans. You know, your owners are still passionate and still involved and still willing to put their money where their mouth is. And in terms of Emery, he's won like multiple Europa Leagues. He's won the league title with PSG. He's managed Neymar and mm. Mbappe. You know, it's, it's this is a good manager we're talking about here. And, and same as be... same as Watkins and Ings, isn't it? Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you can turn Very maybe you can turn them into world beaters. Who knows? Um, I mean, we discussed this and the ups and downs of it a little bit more. I think, um, especially in terms of reputation, Dean, on on Monday's Patreon post box, we did a, a fair deep dive into Villa and some of the players we think that are are going to thrive and that, and those that might struggle under Emery and his system. So, yeah, if you, if you want yeah. more on on Aston Villa and, and Unai Emery and all of the all of the above, as well as an hour on all of the content across Europe from the weekend then a, yeah. a link in the description to the Patreon post box but yes I think yeah. you're absolutely right Sam in that this is a, a top draw manager and Villa fans should be I think excited about this appointment it's, across the course of it. it's hard to get excited about I think that's the problem like I don't know if it's because of what happened at Arsenal I don't know if it's the way he looks I don't know if it's the way he talks I can understand why you can't get excited about him like as I don't know. He's not. He's not like Jose Mourinho, is he? Like he's not. He's not. Um, he's not, not that suave. Guy. No, he's not suave. He, he doesn't have that much charisma to me, anyway. Um, doesn't have. I don't know that. I can understand why it doesn't seem sexy, but it. Sam's right. Like I haven't been that bowled over by it either. But he's right. He's actually one of the best managers you could possibly have got right now. Um, and when you consider they were looking at, you know, Pochettino and Tuchel. Um, who would have probably been maybe just level? Would they have been a level up from Emery? Maybe, yeah, maybe just about. Yeah, yeah. probably just about. Um, but just coming away from that, like, where else do you go? Like Sean Dyche? No, Emery. Yes. So that's. I think that's how you level this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, e- exactly. You got you got to take what's Good on the market. And bear in mind, this is a this is a tough managerial market as clubs are finding left, right, and centre. Right, so mm. it, it's not very it's not a simple task to appoint a new manager who's going to get everyone excited. But I think Emery is is a very good pickup for Aston Villa, and, and they did it in excited. four days for what yes. it's worth. Yep, it's not bad. Indeed. indeed. Mm. Um, right, I want to finish us off with a little trip to Portugal once again um, and just a little shout out for Braga who find themselves second in the Primeira now Benfica have, have got a lot of praise on this podcast and rightly so uh, they're top of the league by six points they're unbeaten in both their domestic campaign and in Europe they're, they're absolutely flying under Roger Schmidt um, but Braga also switched managers this summer and they're currently second Carlos Carvial who had led Braga to a cup victory in Portugal, the Tassa de Portugal. Um, he'd taken them to a couple of fourth place finishes in a row and I think quarterfinals of the Europa League. He decided that his time had come to an end with Braga last season. And instead of looking outside, they decided to promote one of their own in Arta Jorge, who has been working with the club in terms of the B team, the under-23s. He was the caretaker for a little bit. Um, he's basically uh, someone who's very much associated. He played for Braga as well when, when he was younger. Um, but I think it's been really interesting to watch their development under him. Now, 
most people probably have only really seen Braga in the Europa League this year. And I'll be honest with you, they haven't been great. They're third in their group, um, two points behind Union Berlin. It was a tough group. It had Union Saint-Gisois from uh, Belgium, who were top of the original league before the playoff bit in Belgium, which I do like. But um, they, they were effective league winners in, in inverted commas. They won the Supporters' Shield, if you will, for, uh, for our MLS nuts. <laughs> last season but didn't win MLS Cup um, and Union Berlin who are currently top of the Bundesliga so this was a difficult group um, so they need USG to beat Union in the in the last games this week and them to beat Braga uh, them to beat Malmo if they're going to qualify mm-hmm. but I think generally it's been a season especially domestically that's been really really impressive you you look at the table and they're currently two points clear of Porto who dropped points at the weekend they are currently six points clear of Sporting who are down in sixth um, and they've scored just two goals fewer than Benfica and they've outscored everybody else in the division it's been really really impressive watching them and and actually you look at this team and you look at the players they brought in uh Simon Banza was at Melikau on, on on loan last season from Lons they brought him in he, he scored five goals um in, in his opening sort of round of fixtures but I think maybe the best story is Ricardo Horta who was desperate for a move to Benfica this summer. Benfica wanted him um, and he wasn't let go by the club. He, he's, he's a boyhood Benfica fan. He's 28 years old now and, and they basically were like, you can move if the money's right. And then they've decided that he he couldn't move. And, and a lot of players at that point would have thrown their hands up in the air and been like, no, no chance. You know, I'm, I'm not doing this. You've let me down. He hasn't done that in the slightest. Five goals and six assists across his 17 games in both Europe and the Primera. It's been really, really impressive just how Braga have switched their shape. They played a lot of three at the back, that kind of 3 4 2 1, because Huben Amorim was there a couple of years ago. That formation that he plays with Sporting was also implemented at Braga. And Carvajal basically took it on and, and moved it onwards. They've kind of gone to a 4 4 2, which you don't see that much these days in football uh, and Banza uh, and Vitinha not that one who plays for PSG obviously uh, there's another Vitinha which makes life really easy in Portugal as usual um, who, who plays up top he's 22 years old I, I think he's a very very exciting young talent in, in Portugal but Braga are more direct They're, they don't kind of mess about with the ball in possession quite as much they like to go long to the two strikers they like to get shots away early doors and, and they, they shoot a lot from around around the edges of the box. It's been really impressive watching them across the course of this season. They're playing things slightly differently stylistically to the traditional big three. Um, and I just think this could be one to keep an eye on that Braga are very much currently in the driving seat to, to actually knock one of those big three out of those Champions League places in Portugal this year. So coming in with an, an untested manager at, at the top level, um, losing some big players and and, and kind of replacing them w- with not necessarily younger models. Obviously, um, you, you saw that they lost Paulinho to Sporting last season, who was that kind of number nine figure. Um, they replaced him with Simon Banza. He's done really, really well. And, and Braga are a lot of fun to watch. So just a word for them competing for those Champions League places in Portugal and and doing something a little bit different to everyone else. I've, I've just enjoyed watching them and that win this weekend, um, bouncing back from a, a tough loss in, in midweek in the Europa League, fired them up to second in the table and uh, and right in the in the mix for those Champions League places. So fair play to Braga. That's my, that's my analysis for this week. Yeah, fair play, but I hope they're not successful because if uh, if they are successful, it's that risks FC Porto dropping out of mm-hmm. the... Uh, the top spots and uh, I support as should everybody else 
Union Berlin in the Euro in the in Europe and who are sharing their group. So uh, no offense, Jack, but I wish the team that you've just lavished praise on nothing but failure. Okay. All right. Well, there we have it. Um, That is that is nice. Right after the break, we are going to be moving into our main ranking where we're going to be talking about some remontada seasons. Stick with us. Are you missing out on games that you want to watch because they're not broadcast in your region? Well, let me introduce NordVPN. If you're in the UK, but you'd rather listen to the commentary from our old pal Derek Ray, why not give something new a go? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. And the same goes for our US listeners who are desperate for those dulcet tones of Peter Drury or Martin Tyler. No need to travel to Japan if you want to watch J-League games or Austria to keep an eye on the latest youngsters flying off that RB Salzburg pipeline when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no game is out of your reach. We all love to explore, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. And they've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Using our link nordvpm.com forward slash RanksFC, you can try it for a free month and also there's a huge discount on a two-year plan. And with a 30-day money-back guarantee, there's no risk involved. Give it a try and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. So head to nordvpn.com forward slash RanksFC and give it a spin today. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our main ranking. And Sam, just going to hand off to you. Right. So we're in a, a slightly tricky period here where the World Cup is, is very much on the horizon. And we're just trying to work out exactly when to start hitting those notes and start talking about the World Cup. But this week felt like it was too early. So let's try and wrap up a little bit more of what we've seen over the, the course of the first portion of the season and take a look at some of those storylines where some players have really come back from the brink or come back from nothing to provide their own remontada, their own comeback. It's actually one of our patrons was was talking about this, or actually a couple of our patrons have had a conversation about this recently. And we're pointing at pointing at Lionel Messi as to say, like, look how good he is again, once again, after a bit of a drab season last season by his own standards. And so I decided to take that into a Premier League context and take a look at five players who I think are enjoying their own remontadas. I've ranked them five to one and an important factor in exactly where they they factor in this ranking is is the shock factor attached to it. How shocked are we that this turnaround has happened? So bear that in mind as we go through. And I'll start at number five, which is where I put Diogo Dalot of mm. Man United. Because what we're seeing from Dalot right now, I guess you could say it was always possible. And it's probably United's fault. It's taken so long to come out but it's no less impressive we can't let that take away from the sheer quality that we're seeing from Dalot right now in this Manchester United side and we did talk a bit about him on Monday on the post box but to recap I mean he's developed into a genuine two-way fullback very very impactful in in each third of the pitch and both halves for sure important defensive contributions we saw on Sunday some really important back post headers uh, in the defensive phase and a really varied approach to the attack as well. Like, yes, he overlaps, but he can also underlap. He can cross from the byline. He can cross from deep. He takes shots. He provides passes. He's really, really good now. Dalit is, is one of the stories of the season for Man United and still only 23, which is kind of, I had to double check that because it feels like he's been around forever, hasn't it? And I know 23 isn't isn't ridiculously young, but 
He's only just getting going now for the first time as Man United's first choice right back. It's taken him this long to battle for that spot and get it. He's going to go to the World Cup. Feels like everything's looking up for Dalit, and I'm very pleased for him. Uh, just look at look at his performances on a weekly basis now. They're just fantastic. Yeah, I, I really like this. It, it's one of those where, as you say, it always had the potential mm. to happen. He always had that potential to explode. But I, I've been really impressed with his intelligence, you know, and, and that kind of nous going forward. As you say, yes, there's there's all the defensive elements, which, which, which were a concern, I think, for Manchester United fans. And there was this kind of weird dichotomy between Aaron Wambasaka as a, a very defensively minded, brilliant one-on-one fullback, but who didn't hugely have that capacity to get forward and kept getting beaten at the back post on headers. And now you're seeing that become one of Dallas' real strengths here. And we saw that, you know, overwhelmingly in that game against West Ham. But also there are just moments, obviously this weekend. Manchester United were without Anthony, who is a left-footed right winger who likes to cut inside. And that relationship between Dalla and Anthony has been growing. Uh, obviously, they're both um, they're both Portuguese speakers, and that will that will be something that that helps them to, to develop that relationship. But Anthony continues to cut inside, and that opens up space outside of him for Dalla to go on on the overlap, as as you mentioned. But this week they they started with, with Anthony Alanga there, and and so the it was a little bit of a different vibe in terms of how Manchester United were using those build-up phases in the final third. We saw Dalit trying that underlap a little bit more, and, and whichever winger he's been playing with, he's finding ways into the box, he's picking up assists, he's picking up goals. These are moments that you're looking at and going, right, this is someone really rounding out their game. But there was a moment in this game, obviously just before the Manchester United goal that decided it, where you saw a kind of piece of, of, of where Dalit is in terms of his confidence. He's got a throw-in quite far up on the right-hand side. And Casemiro is screaming at him. He's screaming at him to give him the ball a little bit further back and to kind of reset and rebuild. And Dalek basically hands him off, says, no, wait, plays it into Christian Eriksen, who then plays a lovely one-two with with Bruno Fernandes and and sticks up the cross that Rashford heads home. And just that confidence to be like, yes, Casemiro, you are one of the best midfielders in this league and you are one of the senior players in this side, but I'm not just going to listen to what you've got to say. I'm going to work out what's the best here for our attacking phase. And to make a, you know, start off a move that leads to a goal with a little bit of, of that nous and an ability to kind of pause and look around. I thought it was a, a really big moment for him to be like, you know, I'm, I'm a part of this side and I'm, I'm comfortable making my own decisions. Yeah. Do you remember who signed him? Jose Mourinho. Mm. It feels, a, it's, that, it's, that seems like 10 years ago. Yeah. He joined in 2018. I was just looking up like what happened when he signed. I'm just like, Man United delighted to announce the signing of Dalot from Porto on a five-year contract. Jose Mourinho said he's an extremely talented young defender with all the qualities to quickly become a great player for this club. Well, that didn't happen, but he's becoming... It was a great player for this club, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't his fault, but he was very young at the time. And, you know, he said, as Mourinho talks about in this, he says, you know, he's, he's got the academy of, of Porto is where he's had the mentality of coming through. Obviously, something Mourinho knows a lot about. He feels that for his age group at that point, he was possibly the best fullback around. And sometimes these things, you just got to be patient and get and wait for these players to get their chance to shine. And like, obviously, United spent 50 million on one Bissaka, um, which which looked like it would spell the end of Dalot, really. And now we're looking at it and you're like, well, Wambasaka needs to leave Man United, doesn't he? Because he's he's not going to be getting back in. 
he's definitely not worth 50 million anymore. I'm not even sure if he's worth half of that anymore, to be honest with you. He needs his own remontada season. He's not going to get it here right now because Dalot, I would imagine, is one of the first names on the team sheet right now. Like, there's competition in all the other spots. I don't think there's any competition here. That's probably no. one of the only spots you know is nailed on for the strongest 11 Dalot's playing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Lissandro, Dalot, Casemiro, Eriksen, Bruno, and then whatever you want. And then whatever you want around it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But yeah, fair play to him. I'm really pleased for him. Yeah, it's been it's been very, very impressive. Um, let's move on to number four, Sam. Number four, you'd be delighted to hear, guys, is Willian from Fulham. Yes. Still Should sounds good to Willian from Fulham. Should have been number um, one. Yeah. I mean, it is it is quite something, mate. Um, and even... Con- right, so even considering what he's doing now compared to what he was at Arsenal, this is this is this is quite remarkable. But it's even more of a turnaround considering what happened between Arsenal and Fulham, which I'm sure a lot of people missed. It was a terribly ill fated spell with Corinthians and a return to Brazil. Um he didn't make the expected impact there at all. He was there just over a year. And he was in and out of the team. He pretty much never played full nineties, couldn't find his groove. And while that was all sort of one reason to return to Europe, another reason was very sadly, he was the victim of quite a lot of online abuse. Um, every time he played poorly, he was really badly abused really? and his fa- and his family received quite a lot of abuse as well. Yeah. And he, the reason he rescinded his deal in the end was that he couldn't take it anymore. He didn't think this was acceptable, which obviously it's not. So that's why the contract got cut short with Corinthians. It was supposed to run till this Christmas, but it got cut short in the summer. And that's how he ended up at Fulham on a free age 34 and I'm wow. not going to lie lads like once once you know you spell that all out I wasn't really expecting very much from William um but I'll throw it to you Dean because um you think he should be number one and that and that speaks volumes <laughs> yeah I, mean, I'm probably, I am exaggerating <laughs> but like look when when Fulham signed William I was like oh this is not what we need I was worried I was like if this is where we're turning then I'm really worried because I don't see how this player is going to have the form all the drive and commitment to give us what we need. Um, you know, all I'd remembered was the Arsenal deal, really, when actually before that season, they were talking about turning him into a number 10 and it was all quite exciting in the build-up to the season and then it just didn't happen for him. And I was like, well, if, he's, if Chelsea have let him go, if he couldn't do it at Arsenal, why is he going to come to life at newly promoted Fulham? Like, it doesn't seem like that's going to be something that spurs him forward. Mate, he has been... So good. So surprisingly good. Like, honestly, when he came in, obviously, as well, like, Fulham, Fulham got a lot of players that can sort of play this role. And you thought Willian would probably be playing a bit part. But the more we get into the season, the more he's proven himself as a starter. And even when we have our full selection of forwards available, I'd be surprised if anyone can edge him out. Like, he is... He's brilliant. Like I've loved watching him and technically he's superior to pretty much everyone on the pitch. At the weekend, I'd have given him man of the match, to be honest. I um, don't know if Jack agrees with that, but I, I just I just feel like this player is actually back to the levels of a few years back. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting when you talk about these ones because I think you have to talk about expectation levels obviously he came into Arsenal as quite a big name that had signed at the time and, and the expectation was very high considering what he'd achieved 
at Chelsea and considering that, you know, Arsenal had given him a relatively big contract off the back of that and quite a long-term contract that Chelsea weren't willing to offer because of his age. And he went back to Corinthians as the kind of all-conquering hero and was expected to turn the entire club round on his own pretty much straight away. And, and he really struggled with that. And I think he's come into Fulham with, with a far lower expectation. You know, people mm. aren't expecting perfection from Willian. We, we know that there are drawbacks to his game in, in many ways. You're, you're looking at it and going, OK, his ability to cover defensively behind him is limited. Um, it's not it's not not there. That would be that would be incredibly unfair. But, you know, just in terms of the pace of the game, he, he slows the game down to his pace. And at yeah. that pace, there are a few that are as good as him because his ball manipulation remains absolutely exceptional um, and his vision remains exceptional as well. But there are kind of elements that you can attack, I'd say, behind Willian that, that Anthony Robinson is doing brilliantly to clean up at the moment. And actually he's having himself a hell of a season as well. But when you look at this and, and you think, right, so people came in, there was very low expectations. So everything at the moment feels like a real, oh, this is brilliant. It's it's a real upward cycle. And, and I think that's helping him in that, you know, like you say, the, the free transfer, the wages are very, very small in Premier League terms. We're talking you know, vastly reduced wages here. This is someone who just wanted to be back in London and wanted to be playing again at somewhere where he feels comfortable. And all of that, I think, plus the fact that Marco Silva has done this with a couple of players. There was an article on The Athletic this week by Peter Ratzler called Marco Silva's Rejuvenation Clinic. And it's one of those where you're looking at these players who have come in, the likes of Andreas Pereira, um, who obviously had a kind of patchy reputation in England after never really making that cut at Manchester United, Tim Ream coming in at his age, 34 as well, and, and and finally putting together a very, very good season in the Premier League. It's interesting to see how these players are, are stepping up for Marco Silva at Fulham. And I think it's about that environment and, and, and how it's all put, being put together. So I think this is, is, is fairly in here. Um, I don't think anyone was expecting this. There was a lot of rolled eyes, especially from Arsenal fans, when Willian signed for Fulham this summer. But he is doing very well to prove those doubters wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I toyed with going, pulling him a little bit higher, but uh, I put him down at four. Again, remember the sort of the shock factor is 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 what basically ranks this. And while I am really quite stunned that he's managed to go from kind of zero to hero, I guess there's an argument that a player as good as Willian could always reconjure this kind of thing because we know that he was close to an elite level footballer for eight to ten years. So when he does turn up and play really, really well in a comfortable scenario, you can never be truly, truly shocked because you know he's got it in him. But at 34, I definitely did not see this coming at all. Um, and the three players that I have ranked ahead of him, I think share the trait that like this this has genuinely, truly blindsided me. Dallet, I knew it would come. I just didn't know when. Willian, I guess he always had it in his locker. But at number three, Alex Awobi at Everton, <laughs> I did not really ever see him becoming this integral to a team and this good uh, frankly and it's all it's all come based off uh, a tweak in his game so to put it into perspective for people that, that haven't necessarily seen it Iwobi is on five assists for the season um, which means he's just one shy of his all-time league best which was six which was set with Arsenal in 2019 so he's done that in 700 fewer minutes and he's obviously got an entire campaign to go. Very, very impressive. Even more impressive is that he's been moved literally further away from goal due to a position change. He's now a central midfielder, not a winger, and he's even more productive than he ever was. 
So how the hell has that happened? That's part of the shock. Now he's part of this really well-balanced midfield, a midfield I really like. Iwobi, Idrissa Ganage and Onana. It's got uh, something of everything in uh, in there. And Iwobi's the guy who basically drops in, takes possession, uh, plays a 1-2 or, or tries to shuttle it forward, dribbles really well, manages the tempo of the game. And he's got this really slick feet. You know, so hard to get the ball off. He's so good at dancing around players. It's very clear now that all along, this is a player that should have been getting as many touches of the ball as possible in every game he plays for rhythm purposes, for control and tempo purposes. But for a long time, he was stuck on the wing waiting to be brought into play. And then when he did get brought into play, he ultimately wasn't wasn't doing it, was he? Um, in terms of production, in terms of missing chances. I remember he always used to cut in and send the ball just past the far post over and over and over again. And it was so frustrating to watch him miss the same shot, same technique, same chance over and over again. And I, wa- I wondered if it would ever click for him. And the truth is it, it didn't, but it hasn't mattered because someone has had the sense to move him into the heart of the midfield and into the heart of the game. And he has come to life in a way that I, I never really thought Iwobi would. Yeah, I, I, I really like this. And, and I really like that Alex Iwobi has, has made this jump. And actually, I think what's really interesting is is that shift of position and, and shift of maybe mentality. You know, we talked about it a little bit with William, but that shift of mentality as to what he's offering on the pitch, it's not always about him getting in the, the final third and, and, and creating things or, or scoring goals because actually that that's a part of his game that maybe was weaker than people thought it was. You know, it is the kind of play you don't want, as you said on Spotlight a few weeks back, Sam, when we were talking about Everton. And he's not necessarily the kind of player you want in front of goal, making, you know, hitting the shot on the edge of the box. What you do want is, is, is seeing that exceptional work rate in the middle of the pitch, being able to balance out a midfield, being able to drive with the ball, all of the, the things that we know Awobi is excellent at. And just being moved into a midfield three, it, you know, yes, sometimes it looks like Awobi's a 10, but... I don't necessarily think he is. I think he's no. a box-to-box eight. And and when you're looking at that in the context of the Everton midfield this season, that balance between him and Amadou Anana and Adrissa Ganagay, being able to pick up from each other and, and, and take the cues off each other in order to, to make sure that this midfield is a, a solid and cohesive unit, has it, been really interesting to see. And and I think that's part of it. You know, we're We're not necessarily looking at him to be the guy anymore in in the final third. And I think he's thriving partly because of that. And also with that kind of reduced pressure on his shoulders, he is able to step up a little bit more regularly and and, and pick things up and and, and play the pass or play the final pass or or pop up with a goal here and there. But it's not the, oh my God, if he doesn't score or assist 10 goals in a season, it's been a failure from a player in in that attacking role. It's more kind of, oh, our central midfielder is popping up with important goal contributions. And that shift of mentality, I think, is helping him. The good thing about Frank Lampard is there are certain types of player he'll always find and, and get a tune out of. And I think he is probably picking projects at every club he goes to. And when he gets in, he's probably excited to dis- discover who that's going to be. And it looks like Alex Iwobi is the man that becomes Everton's Frank Lampard. Um, he is the new Mason Mount. And <laughs> look, fair play. Like, like there, there are some things that Frank Lampard is, is very good at. And Alex Iwobi has spoken a lot recently about how Lampard is giving him confidence back on the ball, confidence in himself to to get back and um, 
attack the box like he, he used to at the start of his career. Like this is probably more familiar with what he wanted to be doing all along. And he said that Lampard is is really urging him to start arriving in the box at the right times. And of course, Lampard was one of the very best at that um, in his day. So I, it's probably the right time, right place for a Wobi. And right now, like he's probably even going to end up with a new contract at Everton, I'd imagine. Like he's barely done anything during his time there. Um, underwhelmed, yet as you start to get towards the end of that deal, people are like, can't afford to let him go. Give him a new four Well, it's same as Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> Again, probably not the fault of the player in both in both scenarios, yeah. but it's amazing how they sometimes they just need five years to get it going. Um, and they're in a similar situation, aren't they? Because Dallas' contract comes up sure. pretty soon and everyone's like, what? He's now our best right back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's good to see, like, because Alex Awobi, like, he's genuinely such a talent, and we all remember what he was when he came through at Arsenal. He's so exciting. Um, you didn't know what the limit would be for him. Unfortunately, he hasn't really been able to hit the ceiling that was there for him, but there's still time. There's, he'll have confidence now that he can um, kick on in his career. Well, well he made 100 apps, didn't he? He made 100 appearances for Arsenal. Yeah. You don't do that, you know, in no. that area and, and in those years as well without having, you know, some serious talent. But there, there's a level you come to and, and obviously they made that sale. And at the time, that sale was looked at and, and that money was looked at and gone, OK, so this is what we're buying. What, what kind of player are we getting for, for that kind of fee? It was about 28, 30 million pounds. That's a lot of money, That's a yeah. big fee. For Alex Iwobi, right? At that time, considering that there were question marks over w- what kind of player he was. And then to, to go on that with that big fee on your shoulders and not really impress, left a lot of question marks over him and, and why Everton had done that. But now I think we're starting to see again why they, they had, why that outlay was kind of felt like it was necessary and also why it was, you know, yes, it's, it's a lot later on when we're, we're talking about this. But it, it was. It feels like that fee is finally starting to be justified. It's actually exactly the same scenario as Jolinton at Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah. It's be- Jolinton was like forty-four million pounds brought in to play up front. Didn't play very well. Didn't do it. Really struggled. Someone put him in midfield, and bang. And also, Alex then Wobie. the pressure. The pressure changed, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and now Jolinton's scoring more goals than ever than he ever did as a forward for Newcastle because the pressure is different. But he's so good in midfield. So good. Yeah. And Iwobi is the same thing. They've they've literally done the same thing. Same trajectory. Same big price. Same big move. Same struggle. Position relocation. Master. Hmm. And who signed who signed Alex Iwobi? Uh Marco Silva. Marco Silva, genius. Genius. This is hmm. the key. You, you always trust what Marco oh. Silva's up to. It was oh, definitely Marcel players. Brands, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Okie dokie. Let's roll onwards, Sam. Who's okay. Number two is Miguel Almiron of Newcastle United. <laughs> Speaking well, I, of Newcastle. I'm stunned that this isn't one. Stunned. Yeah. Almiron. Wow. Oh, you know what? I sat there yesterday I was preparing for this and I, I, just, I, just, I just typed out Almiron's like basically like his career moving to England so far and, and what's happened. Very fair to say that this man has not had it easy in the Premier League. So let's recap. He joined from Atlanta and ended up in a very reductive Rafa Benitez team. It was very, very difficult to get anything going from an attacking perspective there in that Benitez team. And Ultimately, people weren't talking about whether or not he was good or bad. Mostly, people were talking about how he looked like the main character from the film Goal. 
Yeah. So <laughs> that was a bad start. And because... we've had a film renaissance now as well, which is great. Yeah, that was a bad start. Rafa was then replaced by Steve Bruce. So that gets even worse. Uh, that was a very dark time for Newcastle and for and for all the players involved, particularly Almiron. Very, very hard to get anything going attacking-wise when Steve Bruce is your manager as well. Yep. Then you get the takeover and you get all of this increased spending. You get the rumours. They're going to go and get like Moussa Diaby from Bayer Leverkusen. He costs 50 million. Where's he going to play? Well, obviously, he's going to take Almiron's spot, right? That kind of thing. So he's dealing with all of that. As soon as it starts to look quite good, basically everyone's saying you're going to get replaced. And then at Manchester City's title parade, Jack Grealish essentially coins his name as a term for playing badly. Yep. In response to all of this, he has now nailed down his spot in the Newcastle United eleven. He scored seven goals from 13 starts this season. He is absolutely flying. I think it's completely fair enough that it has taken him two to three years to probably show his best colours. And I'm basically just delighted for him that things have started to come good because it really, as I've just recounted, has not been easy for him. And the reason he ends up at number two, you know, in terms of this, so you might think he should be number one and fair enough. But the reason I've put him so high is because I think it's just amazing that Miguel Almiron has essentially broken out at age 28. This is it. This is a breakout, isn't it? Mm. A very, very late one. And if you get Atlanta was the breakout, I got him here. Atlanta United was the breakout, right? That, well, I mean, that was, it was the initial breakout. Like they was, he was, he was magic, wasn't he? He was Atlanta. amazing. Yeah, he was. But in a top, yeah, in a top top five leagues context, yeah. he's now broken out at age twenty eight. Um, yeah, which is and 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 the re- and again, think consider the shock factor here. Like obviously, when he gets to twenty seven in the Premier League, he hasn't done much. I'm not really expecting it to get better. But look at him now. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, look, it's a, again, really kind of goes back to again, like saving the reputation of of America and MLS again. Like, just was talking on on Patreon the other day about Jesse Marsh fighting to save the reputation of US soccer because if he can't uh, can't save his job beyond a few months at Leeds, then what hope have they got at the back of what happened to Bob Bradley? And when Almiron came into the Prem from MLS, a lot of People were cynical about it. They're like, well, he's not, that, that's a massive jump. He can't do the same things here. And sadly, it was looking like that was going to be true. And now he's getting the chance to flourish under Eddie Howe, gets a tiny bit of confidence. And now you look at the goal he scored at the weekend, like there was just nothing else in his mind but bending it into the far corner as soon as he got the ball. It was a brilliant goal that is just a player who is on top of his game, who believes he can do absolutely anything. And that's what you want to see Miggy Almiron playing like. Like That is what he was doing at Atlanta. He believed that he was capable of anything. And now, for the first time, we're seeing him do that at Newcastle, who are challenging to get in the Champions League at the moment. It's great. Um, obviously, I, I do a lot of FPL stuff. And last week, last week, I was like, got to get Almiron in my team. I've got to get him. Like I can't ignore this form. And I've persuaded a lot of people to do the same thing and so when he when he got a goal and assist I was like thank goodness for that but <laughs> again like genuinely a player whose form can't be overlooked as luck because this is a player who, who's got a clear um, pattern forming under Eddie Howe like Howe's giving him a defined role he understands what he needs to to thrive and he's delivering and, and it's great to see and a long may it continue to be honest because I'm really pleased for him. 
Yeah, I, I mean, this is it, right? And and it's about relationships as much as anything else, I think. And what we saw at Atlanta United was that incredible relationship with, with Joseph Martinez up top. And the two of them together were, were unstoppable that year where um, obviously the, the, the Atlanta won MLS Cup 2018, I think it was. Um, but I tweeted about this, said the Renaissance should remain as one of those please don't write players off legends. He's class and he was before he popped the pond. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time to settle. Now, it's a bit of a strange one because this is his fourth season, right, uh, at Newcastle. Well, the first one was a half season, of course, but you know he'll, he's nearly been there for four years. It's a long time. Um, but I got a great response from someone called Alan Budd who said, it's only it's a reminder that a player can only be as good as the system allows him to be. He was exceptional at Atlanta United and now at Newcastle because both systems fit his skill set. Newcastle prior to this season were abysmal. I'd take the back half of last season out of that, but I think it's a fair point. Um, and, and so was Miguel. And therefore, you, you look at it as, as this is now a, a cohesive system. He's building this relationship with Callum Wilson. And together, they're showing that kind of superstar form that, that actually has kind of turned things around. And, and, and Newcastle are, are right up in the mix for a good reason, because they're playing beautifully. And so much of that is coming through Amaron. And, and I think you see that in the kind of goals he's scoring, right? Dean mentioned that one, obviously, against Aston Villa, which is a lovely strike from outside the box. The goal against Fulham, or his first goal against Fulham, is, is an goal. Over... Well, it's, there's, there's an absolutely outrageous <laughs> volley um, that he scores, and there's a brilliant goal against Brentford. You're, you're looking at this thinking, this, as you say, you know, a player with full confidence in his own ability and, and someone who is not afraid to try things. And in a team that are cooking and moving up the table, that is a wonderful asset to have. In a team where I think you might be floundering and towards the bottom of the table, People trying things from kind of bizarre angles and weird distances. If you know, if that doesn't fall, it feels like oh, a real waste opportunity if the game's nil-nil. But actually, when Newcastle are in this kind of upward trajectory, you know, those when you're trying things like this, they're going in, and and I think that's major for him, and it means that he has that freedom to be the creative player that we know he can be, and and to try things that other players wouldn't try, and therefore we're seeing the best of it. It's just all confidence, isn't it? Like all of these players, it, it's all related to confidence. I'm assuming Marcus Rashford isn't going to be the number one, but I'm going to throw him into the mix here too, because like he has publicly spoken this week about, you know, you know, he scored a great header at the weekend, the type of goal we haven't seen from Rashford for, for a long time. And he talks about confidence, but also about the mental space that he's now in compared to where he was before, what he was suffering with form. And that's what happens to a lot of these players. Like it all comes from... You know, being in the right headspace at the right time under the right manager and the right formation, and it all needs to be there for them to get back to the levels that they're capable of. Don't forget the pressure that these guys are under, the platform that they're on, the profile, the relentless demands of training and match schedules, and they've been through this really tough time during COVID as a footballer, like being away from your families at times. Like, we mustn't forget the impact that that's had on all of these players through tough times. So the fact that these guys are making a return now it's probably reflective on the tough time they were having back then as well. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's it's all reflective. And um, I am quite intrigued as to who's going to be number one. But um, I'm guessing it's not Marcus Rashford. But, yeah, I just wanted to make that comparison because he is having a bit of a, of a comeback of his own. Yeah, you spoiled the list. It's uh, Marcus Rashford number one. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no, kidding, kidding, kidding. I actually I don't have Rashford in there, um, but he has been obviously fantastic so far this season. I think... On a yeah, like a low, low key, very very good season, and that goal, yeah, yeah that goal was really impressive. Um, 
it looks like he's been um, training with someone who's pretty famous for rising at the back post and scoring headers. I don't know <laughs> what you think about that. Uh, but he puts the defender one, on a poster, doesn't he? Absolutely yeah. posterizes him. Brilliant. But uh, number one in this list is Granite Xhaka. This is a man oh, who I think course. above all is truly transformed. Again, in a way, I just was like, as if this is actually happening. Because it wasn't that long ago that Granite Xhaka was the player at Arsenal who was having to relocate and deputise at left back at times. Do you remember the le- do you remember the Granite Xhaka at left back era? That yeah, wasn't bad. that long ago. It wasn't at all. Yeah. It just wasn't. And it was awful. And obviously for the last like three, four years, I mean, arguably actually since he arrived, there's been a relatively consistent vein of criticism um, volleyed towards him. And, you know, lots of fans have, have said at different points that they're absolutely sick of him. They want him sold. I've criticised him loads. I've sat here for the last three years and gone, I think he's unreliable. I don't think he's I don't think he's the the player that you want with a captain's armband. You know, he had that episode where he when he was subbed off and he was you know had a, a bit of a rift with the fans. All of this stuff happened. And now you look at him. He's like one of the first names on the team sheet. He's a completely mm. different player. He's changed his role a little bit. He's basically playing fully box to box. Arsenal were kind of I think tilted from 4-2-3-1 into more of a 4-3-3. I think I definitely called it that with Xhaka making so much of an impact in the final third. He's scoring and he's assisting quite regularly. He's being decisive in the final third. He's running into space with the ball, which he never used to do. He's timing runs into the box. He's using both feet to score. This is all completely new for Granite Xhaka. And all the while, I think he's actually, he's holding up in the defensive categories, dropping in alongside Thomas where necessary. I think he's probably got better on the ball in deeper areas just because he's so confident there's a case to be made that he's the fittest player at Arsenal, I think. They're, some of them are drooping a little bit when it gets to 80 minutes at the moment, but he's not. He plays every single minute at 100% velocity. And I think that probably is explained by the fact that he's hired a personal trainer and a nutritionist. And he looks better. Like He physically looks so much leaner. You can see in his face and his body, like he looks like he's in perfect health. And it's all funneling into these performances. And he is a completely and utterly different player to this time last year. And I, I truly cannot believe it. So it was an easy pick for me at number one. Uh, when Granite Xhaka starts popping up in the box and scoring goals and assisting every other game, you take notice. And trust me, it goes beyond that. It's, it's almost every part of his game feels completely different. Yeah, um, this is another one where I, I wonder how much the, the system is starting to to really kind of help him into into this kind of form and look you know we can we can talk about where granite jacker had problems for until the cows come home and he did you'd be, you'd be mad to ignore the fact that he was rash those tackles and, and frustrations used to build up in him i saw a, a kind of stat list the other day about what Chaka's and where it's changed for him and his touches in the penalty box had doubled from yeah. last season that's massive because it is the the difference between him being that kind of deeper lying pivot to being a, a more forward thinking number eight and I think against Leicester was the first time he'd scored and assisted in the same game for Arsenal um I, I think we saw something like uh in in each of the last three or four years he's got one goal and two assists in in the league this year he's he's already on on, on far higher than that which is which is very, very impressive. So you're looking at this and thinking, you know, what's different for him? And there's lots of lots of things. I, I think the the kind of influence of Zinchenko and, and, and Tomiyasu and, and Tierney and the way that they've been asked to play a slightly different role at left back, whereas Arsenal used to tilt all the way that way. They they now 
build up in a far more balanced fashion. And it goes a lot through the progression of Chaka in the middle of the pitch, which is which is massive for him because it gets him more touches of the ball and more touches of the ball in, in dangerous areas. It also gives him far more options than looking for a, a single player in the box. And, you know, one of the things we've seen is his passes into the final third have, have come down. And I think the reason for that is because Arsenal are able to spread the play far more than looking for Jacker to just sit a little bit deeper and play those defence splitting passes that we know he's capable of, but but often could lead to those frustrations in games when they weren't coming to the end of a, an Aubameyang run through the middle or, or a Lacazette looking to pounce. You know, Arsenal have a far more varied build-up. That there's far more options for them to to kind of intricately work the ball into the box, and he's finding himself in those areas, and and just you know all of these things contribute to. You know, Dean talked about mentality and confidence there. You know, th- there's less reason for Granite Jacket to be rash and and kind of frustrated because he has passing options. He has a defensive midfielder alongside him who's able to do that job as a single kind of pivot, as a single kind of number six, uh, which means that he's not being asked to throw himself into challenges and and, and risk leg breakers and red cards all the time because ultimately he has the ball more, he has more touches of it um, and he's finding options whenever he gets it. And I'd imagine as a midfielder, that's exactly what you're looking for in order to stop your frustrations boiling over. Now, there are obviously those tendencies within him. I don't think they've gone away, but if they're channeled in the right way, that aggression is huge for Arsenal because it gives them uh, that kind of steadfastness in the middle of the pitch. They're not going to be bullied in those areas. And yet we're not seeing the rashness that was often accompanied with it. And I think that's massive. Dean, have you convinced anyone to get Xhaka in an FPL? No. Um, a few people are starting to do it, though, because of this advanced role. I mean, it helps. If, if Thomas Partey's fit and available for Arsenal, then it's okay, isn't it? Because he can sit and, and he can yeah. protect. But but Xhaka is still in most people's minds a protector. But he is he is given being licensed to, to play more advanced now for Arsenal. I don't think we'll see that at the World Cup. Um, no. Switzerland, like, primarily his job is to sit back there and... You know he's the captain there and the leader, and um, he's he's got to look after that that side and conduct play really. And he, he's not going to have that license probably at, at the World Cup like he has now. But you know Switzerland will be delighted that he's even having this sort of form right now because it, it's going to help their their chances. Um, and you know that that is actually a side that could surprise a few people too. So yeah, Shaka, if he can also have a, a good tournament next month. On the back of this, you're looking at one of the the best players in Europe this season. Like genuinely, like mm-hmm. Ballon d'Or contender. No, ah. I'm not going to go that far. But <laughs> he, he, you know, he genuinely will be one of, one of the the players of the season, and and that's a massive turnaround for a player that was, you know, taunted his own fans, booed by the entire stadium, um, had stripped of the captaincy. Everyone wanted him sold by the club. To turn around and now he's having songs sung about him. Rarely, rarely do you get this sort of turnaround. Sometimes you're forgiven, but they stay quiet about it. But Shaka completely transformed his Arsenal career. And honestly, it's it's a rarity. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Agreed on all counts. Uh, and, a, and a worthy number one, I think, Sam. The, the season he's having, especially being shifted out to left back towards the back end of last season, through necessity, obviously, but it all looked a little bit ugly and it just looks so smooth at the moment for Chaka in an Arsenal shirt. And that's nice to see in so many ways. Um, but with that, I think we're going to bring this ranking to a close. Thank you very much, Sam. That's it good was- fun, wasn't it? Very good fun. I enjoyed that immensely. Uh, after the break, we've got Melon of the Week and the gibberish rankings. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time for our third and final part. And Dean Jones, it's time for everybody's favourite part of the week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Diego Costa. <laughs> what a silly man. What a silly, silly man. He, well, look, we all know that Wolves are having a tough time. Wolves haven't got any strikers, so they've had to sign Diego Costa. Um, as Who's an, not an, having a remontada season. <laughs> he's not having a remontada. No. But I could see that, you know, they got they got through a transfer and they hadn't signed anyone. They had to sign someone. He was available as a free agent. They got him. It took a while for him to get fit, but he's out there. Wolves were playing Brentford at the weekend. They were drawing right at the end of the game. Like, I don't mean like beyond the 90 minutes. Diego Costa decides he's going to go head to head with Ben Mee and shove him in the, well, shove him in the head with his own head. Uh, wasn't I don't know if I class it as a headbutt as such, but um, it was a head push and you can't do it. Um, and no surprises, he was shown a red card. So Diego Costa is now suspended. He's not available again till Boxing Day. Because he wanted a holiday. The, this is the end of this part of the season. He's got six weeks off. <laughs> like... Sorry, it's just man of the week or genius of the week. It's not <laughs> yeah, even. Exactly. It's not even Boxing Day, Dean. It's afterwards, isn't it? Because it'll be a three-game ban. There's only two games left. Yeah, I guess so. But whatever. He's he's actually not going to be back until basically the 29th of December. That man has just banked Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you hear of people doing this on purpose, don't you? Like traditionally, like they get that yellow card so they get Boxing Day off. But Diego Costa's just given himself a two-month holiday, um, and that doesn't help Wolves because they've got two games coming up that actually might be winnable. Brighton at home, Leeds at home. That gives them a chance to go into the break, actually not in the mess that they're in. But now they haven't got a forward to to play there. And they're 19th in the league. They're in big trouble. Steve Davis, the interim manager, says, well, this is what you get with Costa. He plays on the edge. It's not okay, mate. This is not okay. Don't defend him right now. Because this isn't all right. Like, we know Costa's done this. Costa actually doesn't... Was it his first red card or something like that? I'm sure someone said it was... It was his first red card for Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there was some stat about it being his first red card. But um, yeah, this is the most melonish thing I saw all weekend because not only is it right at the death, it kills Wolves for the next two games and beyond. Basically convinces the club that they absolutely have to go and sign somebody else in January because he is still a liability. Um, we already knew that it was unlikely he would recapture the form that we once saw of him in the Premier League. But Wolves are just like a disaster this season. Um, I was surprised actually that Michael Beale turned down the chance to go to Wolves because I look at it and I'm like, this can't get any worse. I don't know how QPR convinced him to stay exactly, maybe a bit more money. But ultimately, you look at that squad and you're like, how on earth are this team 19th in the Premier League, especially when they, what they've been able to do in the last few years? It looks like a remontada of Wolves it is like very, very plausible if you go in there with the right approach. And Michael Beale's turned around QPR in like the space of three months. I'd have thought he'd have looked at that been like, I could definitely turn this team around. Like This cannot get any worse. Uh, but they've now got to convince somebody else to come in during the next you know, three or four weeks completely turn around their season in the second half of the campaign. Maybe that's Lopetegui or someone else. Um, I still think that someone will look at it as a job worth doing because with probably two or three signings, they can definitely get out of this, but it's not going to be thanks to Diego Costa, unfortunately. 
I think it's really interesting that, you know, you bring him in in some ways, obviously, because th- there's no strikers at, at the club, but that's fine. And they've been very, very unlucky in terms of uh, the way that it's panned out for them and the way that Sasha Kalajic got injured pretty much for the whole season straight off the back of the transfer window. So their options were limited, let's be honest. But you're looking at this team and thinking it's a young-ish team who have lost leaders. Now, we all know that Raul Jimenez isn't able to play as much as he was because of that horrible injury. Ruben Neves is, is the captain now and, and probably the most experienced player alongside Gerard Moutinho in this team. But you're looking at these two players and thinking, well, how much does Moutinho play now that Mateus is in there? Fine. Um, they are lacking in leaders at, at this point. It's a, it's a young side. And you bring in someone like Diego Costa and you go, right, we need you to step up and be part of this. We need you to, to kind of lead this side into it whilst the, the injuries are there. And to do that is just such a kind of head rush, head loss with all of it. And now you're losing another player with experience and you're leaving again to the youngsters to try and bail you out. And I was looking at the Wolves squad. I was like, what are they going to do? Are they going to call up Leo Bonatini, who just seems to be in the, in the like, reserves? There. He's still there. Go kicking on, about. But obviously they lost Connor Cody in the summer to, to Everton. They sold Dendonka to Aston Villa. There's players here that you're going, okay, maybe these players would have been able to step up and just provide that little bit of leadership in different roles, obviously. But when things were, were looking a bit rough, and they are looking rough for Wolves, but, uh, you know, when you're you're getting your experienced players into those kind of situations, like, you must, Steve Davis must be looking at it going, what, what more can I do? That's that's madness. So, yeah, I, I completely agree. Melon of the week, for sure. Silly man. Silly man. That is, of course, the gibberish alarm. Over to you, Sam. Yeah, uh, Dean opened the podcast talking about Halloween and I will close it by talking about Halloween, specifically about trick-or-treating, picking footballers that would make the worst trick-or-treating partners. Diego Costa, headbutting people at doors. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm into that. He can be number five. Diego Costa would headbutt all of the homeowners. Uh, I do actually have four players and uh, I'll start at number four. It's Jorginho. If his playing style is anything to go by, he's a very cautious man. If he's scared to play more than a five-yard pass, how scared would he be of people dressed up as monsters and ghosts everywhere? You feel like you'd get nowhere with Jorginho, wouldn't you? (laughs) Yeah, very good. Very good. Poor man. And number three is Usman Dembele. You get around the houses quick, which is great, but that man is greedy. He doesn't share the ball. (laughs) He would not share chocolates and candy with you, would he? <laughs> I thought you were going to say trip himself up on the way into somebody's house and fall over. Yeah, yeah actually, the Dembele, the Dembele of old, 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 would probably oversleep and miss the whole event. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to get trying to get him out of uh, out, out of the PlayStation it would be yeah. a tricky one. He's good very at tricks, good. though. He's good at stepovers and stuff. He's very good at tricks. Very good at tricks. So number two is Dan Byrne. Frankly, too slow. I uh, wouldn't get to enough houses. Oh, yeah. Obviously, that 40-minute window, Dean, put yourself in that position. You've got 40 minutes without the rain to get around in many hours. Apart. And that, you're, t- you're towing Dan Byrne around with you. you get well, that. he would have to be one of the scary monsters, wouldn't he? Because if he's so tall, you just put a mask on him, everyone would be absolutely <laughs> terrified and they think he's an actual ghoul. 
Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, but I, monster. I've got a thing being like, obviously, when, you, when, when loads of little kids come to the door, that's fine. But like, if you're like 16, 17, I'm like, go away. Like, you are too old for this. Dan Byrne, I'd be like, you're way too tall. You're not having any sweets. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, at number one, it is Anthony, because he only does tricks. No treats. <laughs> and if you ask anyone else, the general public, they'd say they're rubbish little tricks at all. So you wouldn't well, get any sweets or any candy if you were with well, Anthony. No, I, think, I, think to United, I think United fans uh, would suggest he's provided a fair amount of treats to them yeah. already. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. But uh, yeah, as long as no, it was uh, a circular row, because he just runs around in circles, he'd <laughs> <so. laughs> be absolutely fine. Yes, older sex. Very good, Sam. Very good. That is a, a quick fire gibberish. Yeah, I, I like enjoyed that. that very much. That was very good. Uh, but we're on that bombshell. We are going to call this podcast today, and all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to our five by five champion. King of the Andals and the First Men is the transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to our rank god, head of dispatch and Norwegian Basque third choice goalkeeper, Mr. Sam Tsai. Thank you, buddy. I've been Jack Collins, Nave of Hearts. This has been Ranks FC and we will see you later in the week where the boys are going to be doing the MLS Cup final special with Owen Murray. So keep an eye out for that one. Take it easy, gang. Peace.